There is a bridge on the Yangtze River in China um, that is one of the more popular landmarks in that country. Um, the distance from the bridge decking to the water is 100 yards. And pedestrians frequent the bridge, thousands of them at times, it's said, and uh, the difficulty with that is, is that uh, since the bridge opened in 1968, over a thousand people have jumped to their death. There's a, a fellow, his name is Chen, and Chen since 2003, has become kind of a self-appointed guardian angel on this bridge on the weekends. He comes there every weekend trying to stop people from jumping. And he counts 42 people whom he has personally stopped from committing suicide. It's interesting, they, there's talking to him in this article, and he says this. He says, you know, if I save one person, one is a lot. They ask him how he could identify potential jumpers from the sea of people on the bridge. He says it's very easy to recognize. It's a person who walks without spirit. He says this about all the people that are, are jumping. He says, we have to teach people to love life and treasure life. Chen, I think, echoes the um, message of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah puts it this way. He says, tell the people, this is what the Lord says. I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. And echoing Deuteronomy, he says, choose life treasure life. He says in chapter 39, I will save you, the Lord says. You will not fall by the sword, but will escape with your life because you trust in me, declares the Lord. Jeremiah, throughout his book, passionately calls out to his people to turn from their sins and trust God and live. I I love Jeremiah. He's kind of a mentor for me. Um, And I'm going to commend him to you today as we look at the book that bears his name, plus a book that he is most commonly attributed as author, the book of Lamentations. Um, If you want to open up your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, we are continuing today in the prophets, those those men who came bringing the hope of repentance and restorations to God's people Kind of towards the back end of the Old Testament. You remember last week we looked at this kind of timeline that shows us where the prophet Isaiah spoke, whose message we studied last time. These prophets bring the hard message of grace to us, the message of repentance. And last week we said we, we get off track. It's like driving off into the ditch. What the prophets do for us, they come and they rescue us. And they pull us back out of the ditch, back into the beautiful path that's our, that is God's ways for us. Now, we're going to continue today with the prophet Jeremiah and the next several weeks through some of the other prophets. I want you to make it your goal, your personal goal, not, 
not to survive this teaching time on the prophets unscathed. Okay? I do not want you, after we're done with the rest of the Old Testament prophets, to get to the end and say, well, that was nice. I think, and it's fascinating. It didn't really have anything to do with my life. It's just fascinating. I like the prophets. If that's the case, you have completely missed what the prophets are saying to you. And you're completely out of touch with your own heart. The prophets have been sent by God to bring a message of correction and reproof and grace to God's people then and to you and me now. And today, that's going to come to some of you through the words of Jeremiah. Um, This prophet of doom, on the one hand, this prophet of hope, on the other. So, we have a similar mission, I think, to both Mr. Chen, China, and Jeremiah the prophet. Um, We're helping people treasure life, value it as a gift from God. Even more so, treasuring the one who said he was the way, the truth, and the life. Jeremiah is going to encourage and strengthen us in that task today. Would you bow with me in prayer, please? Lord, this morning we pray that all who seek you would rejoice and be glad in you. Pray, Lord, this morning that those who love your salvation would always say, The Lord be exalted. Yet this morning, Lord, we are poor and needy. May you think of us. You are our help and our deliverer. Oh, our God, do not delay. Bring grace to us through your word now, we pray. Jeremiah came at a really tragic time in history. You know, Isaiah spoke kind of all around the fall of Israel, the northern kingdom, into captivity to Assyria. Jeremiah speaks before and after the, the southern part of the kingdom of Israel. Judah falls into captivity to the Babylonians. The book of Jeremiah primarily comes before that event, and the book of Lamentations looks back on that great tragic event and it, it was a dark time let me let me illustrate it with the the kind of the paradigm we were working with last week the people are in this kind of ditch okay when jeremiah is prophesying to them it is a dark and dangerous and scary time in the history of god's people when jeremiah brings his message His call is recorded in the very first chapter. We know that these are the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, it says. One of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. And the word of the Lord came to him the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah. When the people of Jerusalem went into exile. So he's dating his book here. Starts with the good king Josiah and through a number of his wayward sons until the people are taken into exile. That's when Jeremiah's preaching ministry primarily took place. And the Lord spoke to Jeremiah and said this, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before he was in the womb, God knew Jeremiah. 
Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. There's that great theme raising its head again. Jeremiah is being sent not just to God's people in Israel, but to the nations. Sovereign Lord, Jeremiah said, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah is called as a young man, possibly as a child, he says. And he's reluctant to speak for God, but there is this great promise that God gives to him twice in this first chapter that's enough for Jeremiah and overcomes his fears. Here it is again in verse 17 of that first chapter. Get yourself ready, God says to Jeremiah. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not, buy, do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, Jeremiah, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. There it is for the second time. I am with you and will rescue you. God says to Jeremiah. That promise is enough for Jeremiah to stay the course. He is remarkably faithful through the book. Um, and it is a tough, tough course that he is called to stay. But that promise is enough. Okay. This is his message. This is the message that Jeremiah gets to preach in a nutshell. It starts in chapter 5, is a good summary. It says, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, I am bringing a distant nation against you, an ancient, ancient and enduring nation, a people whose language you don't know, whose speech you don't understand. Their quivers are like an open grave. All of them are mighty warriors. They will devour your harvests and food, devour your sons and daughters. They'll devour your flocks and hordes, devour your vines and fig trees. With the sword, they will destroy the fortified cities in which you trust. <clears throat> so, this is the happy, upbeat message that Jeremiah gets to deliver to the people. You're about to be destroyed and devoured. And if that's not enough, kind of the second part of his message is how they're to deal with that. <clears throat> Jeremiah says to King Zedekiah, This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says. If you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared, and the city will not be burned down. You and your family will live. But if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, this city will be handed over to the Babylonians and they will burn it down and you yourself will not escape from their hands. So the happy message is you're about to be judged and carried off into captivity, but if you'd like to live, you can surrender. Okay? This is the good news from Jeremiah. And to top it off, God tells him this. When you tell them all this, Jeremiah, they will not listen to you when you call to them they will not answer. So he gets a message of judgment and surrender to a people who will not pay any attention to him. And Jeremiah gets to do this 
for about 50 years. And you thought you had a tough job. This is Jeremiah's calling from God. And he is remarkably faithful in it. But oh, how he suffers for his faithfulness to this difficult calling. Um, Just to summarize some of his sufferings in the book of Jeremiah. There were death threats against him. His own family betrayed him. He was not allowed to join in any celebrations. He was not permitted to marry. He was beaten and put in the stocks publicly. He was mocked and subjected to public ridicule such that he says he was a laughing stock all day long. His trusted friends betrayed him. He was seized by priests, prophets, and all the people to put him to death. He was shut up in the king's prison. He was forbidden to go to the temple. He was accused of treason, beaten, and placed in a dungeon cell for many days. He was imprisoned again in a muddy cistern where he was let down with ropes, and he sank in the mud and left starving for dead. He was held under arrest in the courtyard of the guard until Jerusalem was captured. He was taken as an exile into Babylon and then taken also into Egypt against God's commands. Tradition tells us that Jeremiah was stoned to death there in Egypt. Jeremiah suffered like no one that I've ever met. And yet he was faithful. Um, He stayed the course. This, This simple promise that God gave him, I am with you, Jeremiah. That was enough for him in the most suffering-filled ministry that that I'm aware of. Um, Did you know that you have a very, very similar promise from God? Look at Hebrews chapter 13 in the New Testament. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said... Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Is it enough for you this morning? To do what God is asking you to do, hard though it may be, is it enough for you to be obedient to that because he's with you and he's promised he'll never fail you and he'll never forsake you? Is that enough for you? Is it enough for you to love an enemy? Is that enough for you to bless when you're cursed, to persevere in doing good, to be faithful when no one around you is, to love when no one loves you back, to persevere in prayer when there doesn't seem to be an answer, to speak when you're afraid? Is it enough for you that God's promised that if you walk in His ways, He'll be with you? You know, we, I think, all would say, that we are facing something far less than what Jeremiah faced for 50 years. But we have no less of a promise from no less of a God. Is it enough? 
Nancy, um, Nancy Guthrie knew that something was terribly wrong with her little baby, Hope. She was born with club feet, extreme lethargy, and inability to suck, among other problems. She was officially diagnosed, ultimately, with something called Zylweger syndrome, a rare metabolic disorder that's characterized by an absence of cell structures that rid the body of toxic substances. There's no, no treatment. There is no cure. And most babies with the disease live less than six months. Nancy says, at first I thought it was my fault that I didn't pray enough for a healthy baby and now I was paying for it. She was familiar with prayer. She grew up going to church, attended a Christian college, had a great job in Christian publishing. Her life was filled with the pursuit of Christian things, but as she later realized, not necessarily the pursuit of Christ. She says, there's this sense of hypocrisy. I was so busy for God and interested in theological things, working with Christian authors and books and working hard at my church, but I wasn't talking to him or listening to him by reading his word. She says, I think for those who have grown up in the church, it takes a miracle rescue touch from God to break out of going through the motions, just going through the motions. She says, it takes great humility to say, what I've been doing hasn't been working and it hasn't been real. Nancy began by telling God, it's been so long since we've talked, and I don't even know how to do this, or why you'd want to talk to me, but can we start talking? And for Nancy, talking meant committing to regular Bible study, and slowly she felt the hypocrisy being replaced by a genuine hunger to know God more. She considered a recent Bible study she had done on the book of Job, and at the time she wondered if she could do what Job did. She recalled the passage where God said, My servant Job will be faithful to me no matter what. She says, I remember being challenged by that, so challenged by that. I couldn't imagine God ever having that confidence in me. And as she looked at her little baby hope, she thought, Here's my chance to respond to the worst thing I can imagine in a way that is pleasing to God. And it wasn't easy. Nancy had to make that decision over and over again during the next few months. Her grieving didn't get any easier. Hope was not healed. The pain didn't lessen. But each day, Nancy tried to respond faithfully despite her loneliness and grief. When people offered to drop off meals, she and her husband David invited them to stay. When people expressed pity at their circumstances, she asked them to celebrate their daughter's life. She says, whereas before we talked to our neighbors about our lawns, we never had meaningless conversations now. We were talking about life and death and Jesus in a way we never had before. And in preparing for her own loss, Nancy began to help others. On her 199th day of life, little hope took her last breath. See, it was enough for Nancy that God was with her. Is that enough for you? Let the promise that God will be with you sustain you, even in the, the greatest, most prolonged suffering that you face. He is with you if you will turn to him. Jeremiah's message 
is one of impending judgment. So much so that he has been called by some a prophet of doom. But his message is also a message of hope because he, he brings grace to the people when he tells them they can repent. They can change their hearts. They can turn, turn towards God. Jeremiah also had a message about the future. Um, he prophesied with great accuracy this prophecy in chapter 25. It says, this whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years, which is what happened as history unfolds. He was especially troubled by his, the presence of falsehood and lying amongst God's people. Um, he says, say to them, this is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God or responded to correction. Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. And he traced it back to their leaders. He says, a horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. And my people love it this way. The people became liars as they were lied to by their prophets. Chapter 9 says, they make ready their tongue like a bow to shoot lies. It's not by truth that they triumph in the land. They go from one sin to another. They don't acknowledge me, declares the Lord. Beware of your friends. Don't trust your brothers. For every brother is a deceiver and every friend a slanderer. Friend deceives friend, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to lie. They weary themselves with sinning. You live in the midst of deception. In their deceit, they refuse to acknowledge me, declares the Lord. And that's their great deceit. They refuse to acknowledge the Lord. This is your lot, the portion I have decreed for you, declares the Lord. Because you have forgotten me and trusted in false gods. There's that falsehood again. I will pull up your skirts. And this is, this is graphic. But this is how God thinks about idolatry. I will pull up your skirts over your face that your shame may be seen. Your adulteries and lustful names. Your shameless prostitution. I have seen your detestable acts on the hills and in the fields. Woe to you, O Jerusalem. How long will you be unclean? And Jeremiah calls the people from falsehood back to worshiping the true God. Not a God of their own making, what they wanted God to be like, but what God had shown himself to truly be like. The Lord is the true God, he says in chapter 10. He's the living God, the eternal king. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. His images are a fraud. They have no breath in them. They are worthless, the objects of mockery. When their judgment comes, they will perish. He who is the portion of Jacob is not like these, for he is the maker of all things, including Israel, the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord Almighty is his name. So the people had turned to lies on every front. How about you? How's your truth quotient? Are you a truth teller? How authentic is your worship, really? Mean what you sing? Practice what you preach? Or could it be said of you that God's name is always on your lips, but he's far from your hearts? 
There's a fellow named um, John Corcoran. And his story is one of those stories of deceit. He says, during grade school, he never learned to read or write, but he caused a lot of trouble and somehow kept getting promoted to the next grade. He got to high school and he mastered new skills. He says, I started cheating by turning in other people's papers. I dated the valedictorian and ran around with college prep kids. I couldn't read words, but I could read the system and I could read people. He graduated from high school, unable to read, and received an athletic scholarship to Texas Western College and cheated his way through there as well, getting a degree in, of all things, education. And he got a job as a teacher and taught high school for 17 years. He says, what I did was I created an oral and visual environment. There wasn't the written word in there. I always had two or three teacher's assistants in each class to do board work or read the bulletin. He left teaching, ultimately became a real estate developer, and later in life, he learned to read and became an advocate for better educational systems. Most of us don't have to fake reading and writing, but sometimes our lives are that kind of charade. And this morning, in His mercy, God is extending to you the opportunity to repent, to stop going through the motions and turn from your sin and find real grace, real help, real mercy. From Christ, from the Messiah, from Jesus. But you know what the people did with Jeremiah's message? They hated it. They rejected it. It wasn't what they wanted to hear. Here's an example in chapter 37. When Jeremiah reached the Benjamin gate on his way out of town, <clears throat> captain of the garb, whose name was Erijah, son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah, arrested him. They've arrested the prophet of God. And said, you're deserting to the Babylonians. Because remember, his message was surrender. And so as he leaves town, he says, you're deserting. That's not true, Jeremiah said. I am not deserting to the Babylonians. But Elijah would not listen to him. Instead, he arrested Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. They were angry with Jeremiah and had him beaten and imprisoned in the house of Jonathan the secretary, which they had made into a prison. And Jeremiah was put into a vaulted cell in a dungeon where he remained a long time long time. And so Jeremiah preaches a hard message and the people reject him. And so you know what Jeremiah did? He loved them. He loved these wayward people over and over. He says, oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. He urges them, give glory to the Lord your God before he brings the darkness, before your feet stumble on the darkening hills. You hope for light, but he will turn it to thick darkness and change it to deep gloom. But if you don't listen, 
I will weep in secret because of your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly, overflowing with tears, because the Lord's flock will be taken captive. My eyes fail from weeping, he says. I'm in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like wounded men in the streets of the city, as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. He wept for them. He loved them, even though they so strongly rejected him. Now that last verse comes from the book of Lamentations which is often attributed to Jeremiah. It's written from his same time with a lot of the same language and whatnot. And it looks back at the captivity when they fell, when the city fell, when Jerusalem and Judah fell to the Babylonians. And it's a series of five laments, five funeral songs, basically, lamenting the fall of that city and Jerusalem and her people. And it's really carefully written. This is not just a hastily written thing. Each of the first four chapters, each line starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The first with the first letter, the second with the second. And he carefully crafts this poem of lament and suffering. Where where the people were betrayed by their allies and mocked by their enemies. And there was a severe famine on top of it. And the children, as we just saw, were starving. God didn't seem to answer prayer, and their enemies committed unspeakable atrocities against them. And this famine was so severe, so severe. In chapter 4, he says, With their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children, who became their food when my people were destroyed. I don't know if anyone has seen suffering like Jeremiah has seen suffering. And he pours it out in in these laments in the book of Lamentations. But amidst these songs, he says something absolutely stunning. In the third chapter, the 19th verse, he says, I remember my affliction, I remember my suffering and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall, and I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. There is something so hope-bringing that even when cannibalism is taking place and the children are dying in the streets and the people are suffering horribly, there's something that brings hope even in that situation. And he writes about it in the very next verses. He says, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. See, Jeremiah thought of the character of God, one he knew who loved greatly with unfailing compassion and great faithfulness. And that was enough for him in the most horrific suffering imaginable. And you need to know today, whatever suffering you're facing, that God is radically and deeply committed to loving you. Romans chapter 8 says, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship 
or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, nor present, nor the future, powers, height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, in the sad times, even the times that come from his hand, and Jeremiah understood explicitly and stated it over and over again that the suffering of his people was poured out on them from God's good hand. He knew that, and yet he could still hope in God. They are not mutually incompatible categories that God could bring grief and bring love. In fact, that's exactly what he says. He says, men are not cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, and he did, he will show compassion, and he does. So great is his unfailing love. Nancy and David Guthrie learned that for their daughter or their children to have Zylweger syndrome, both of the parents had to be carriers of that recessive gene. And so they decided to have a vasectomy to prevent another pregnancy. About one in 2,000 vasectomies fail. One year after Hope died, Nancy was pregnant again. And prenatal testing revealed their third child would also have Zylweger syndrome. And Time magazine interviewed them for an article in which the writer compared their plight to that of Job's in the Old Testament. And the article quotes an entry from Nancy's journal. She says, like Job, we often cannot see the hidden purposes of God. But we can determine to be faithful and keep walking toward him in the darkness. Named after the angel... Their little boy, Gabriel, was born on July 16, 2001, the same day the Guthrie story appeared in Time magazine. They knew what to expect. Their son's first day would be his best, and Gabriel would die 183 days later. She says that answering the how or the why begins with another more important question, what? What do we believe about God? She writes, do I trust the character of God enough to believe he's in control and whatever he allows in my life will be for my ultimate good? Not that whatever he allows in my life is good, says Nancy. Can I trust him knowing he will be good enough to make it worth whatever it costs me to know him? A lot of people, she says, say, I could never do that. She says, David and I say, you couldn't. But if God allows this in your life, he will also give to you the grace you need to respond to it faithfully. I've experienced one of the worst things that can happen, says Nancy, and I haven't found I'm strong and I can handle it, but I have found out God's promise is true and His grace is sufficient. Jeremiah tells us that not a day goes by that God is not waiting with compassion and mercy towards those who turn from their sin and trust Him. His compassions are new every morning. And when you call to God, when you seek Him in your time of need, you can count that He will greet you with compassion and goodness. That's what Jeremiah found. And so will we. Loving, merciful, faithful God.
Jeremiah inspires me, I think, probably because he reminds me of Christ. Um, Jeremiah is absolutely faithful to his calling, no matter what the cost, no matter how great the suffering, like Christ. Jesus said, the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father commanded me. Come on, let us leave. And he went to the cross. Jeremiah, in the midst of his suffering, he cares deeply for those who have afflicted him, who have tortured him, like Christ, who is on the cross saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And in his greatest sufferings, which in his mind comes from God's hand, he still hopes in God, just like Christ who on the cross, according to the will of the Father, says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. See, by his example and by his teaching, Jeremiah points us to Christ. As we read earlier, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, imagery of the Messiah, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. 600 years before Christ, Jeremiah is pointing us to Christ, to hope in Christ. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. The Messiah, the Christ. This is what the Lord says. David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Nor will the priests who are Levites ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, burn grain offerings, and present sacrifices. That's Jesus. Prophet, priest, and king. And offering to our Lord on our behalf. Jeremiah talked about a new covenant that was coming. This is a covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put, in, put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they'll all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And the New Testament tells us that Jesus is the mediator of that covenant that Jeremiah prophesied about. Hebrews says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of that new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he, Jesus, has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as man is destined to die once and after that face judgment. So Christ has sacri- was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. May we be found waiting, faithful, believing that it's enough, that he's with us. Let's bow in prayer as we're ready to approach the table and remember this new covenant that Christ has made for us.
Jeremiah says, has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. My people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. Does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Proclaim this message. Return, faithless ones, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. Time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins 